His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Christ is the Prince of Peace. It is said we are facing today a mental health pandemic and crisis. It is said that no one is experiencing peace. St. Augustine in the 5th century had a little line out of his Confessions of Augustine that many of us remember. The whole book is a prayer. It's a line of a prayer. He's speaking to God and he says, man's heart is restless until it finds rest in you. I fear nobody's listening to uh, Augustine. Uh, We are in this search for peace. We're into yoga and meditation and stretching. And of course, the word of the day of our age, mindfulness, breathing exercises, the lotus position. We're into all kinds of help online. There's endless means to lift up our mental health. There are phone apps. There is immediate touch with a counselor through BetterHelp or Cerebral, all kinds of platforms. Talk space, open path, synergy e-therapy. But what if at the root our problem is God never created us to experience the peace that we've always yearned for apart from a relationship with him. What if it's true that our highest good is held out in knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior and in knowing him to be brought unto such peace? What if what we yearn for isn't found apart from the experience of peace that Christmas brings. What if God who made us knows our needs well and sent his son to bring us what we are desperate for in the experience of his peace, the peace of God. What the apostle Paul said was that which passes understanding, that which defies circumstance, and that which builds a fort around our heart and holds us together guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. By the way, is peace our experience this morning? Or is it turmoil? Is that actually closer to the truth? Come with me to Daniel chapter 6. You will remember that we are celebrating Christmas this Advent from Babylon. Yes, Christmas from Babylon. We're 600 years before the birth of Jesus in Daniel chapter 6. As a teenager in 605 BC, he's taken with the first group of the elite and the noble class, those who were instead to be the next generation of rulers. He's taken to repatriation camp. He's going to be put in the king's court, a teenager probably castrated as soon as he got to Babylon, 
along with having his mind filled with everything, what trauma he faced, displaced as a refugee, apprehended there. He serves Babylon for some 60 years. He rises like cream to the top. He's there until 538 B.C. when the Belshazzar had his big drunken party and the Babylonian Empire crumbled as the Medo-Persians diverted the Tigris and Euphrates rivers and they came in without a shot and took over. And it was a tectonic shift in world power. The Babylonian Empire gone. The Medo-Persian Empire established. And Darius the Mede was the head. Now, don't miss this. This is now 67 years after this teenager was apprehended. So Daniel's now in his 80s. One could say he was bearing down on old manhood. He yet rises again in a new global power, the Medo-Persian Empire. And that's where we are in Daniel 6. In fact, his rise raises the ire of his associates there who were advising the king. And the king, desiring to protect himself and his future, listen for that in verse 2, so that the king might suffer no loss, surrounds himself with a group of men to watch out for what was going on in the Medo-Persian Empire. Immediately, Daniel rises to the top and is distinguished among those three leaders that were put over the group of men that are watching over the kingdom. But they despise Daniel, conceive of a plan to take him down. That's Daniel 6, 1 through 14. We are going to get to Bethlehem, I promise. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house 
where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before, he got, before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king established shall be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Hear the word of the Lord. Now let's go two different directions this morning. First, let's lay hold of this story and look at it together, there are three acts in this story in Daniel chapter 6. This is the lion's den story, a piece of history. Secondly, uh, let's find Christmas here. It's Advent. We are here. So finding Christmas in Daniel's lion's den. Eric, where in the world is Christmas in this lion's den piece of history, three acts. Act one is pride and jealousy unleash a conspiracy against a faithful old man. He's an old trusted advisor. That's clear from verse two. Over them, three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give an account so the king might not suffer any loss. But in verse 3, Daniel's going to be distinguished even among the group of three who are leading. Then Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials. So they are jealous. They are envious of his position. They are embittered by its one from Judah, an exile who has risen to this level. And he's over us. What? Let's take him down. So according to verse 4, they went on a search. They sought to find ground. Now the word any is going to show up and be real important. They sought to find any ground. It will later be reported by the narrator. You heard it, they, Daniel. They couldn't find any ground. By the way, how hard of a search would it be rummaging around in our mind, our hearts, our speech, our conduct, how hard would it be to find any charge against us? 
Would it be a long, hard search for the unfindable? Or would it be pretty easy? For Daniel, they come up with nothing. And after the search, they conclude, there's only one way to take this guy down. It's to find him guilty of being faithful to his God. And so they conceive of a plan, get the king to sign a Medo-Persian edict. They set a trap for Daniel in the only area that he could be found culpable. By the way, isn't it interesting that Daniel did not deem prayer to be something that he could avoid. For him, it wasn't an afterthought or, yeah, if I have time, I'll, you know, little prayer doesn't hurt anybody. No, for Daniel, it was an absolute essential. So much of an essential that he cared more about that essential and sustaining that glad habit of his of giving himself to the Lord in prayer and conversation and developing this relationship. He cared more about that than he did the approval of others who had set this up to ensnare him. And, and it's, it's, the text is very intentional about how it reports at verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he didn't alter his behavior. He went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Right on clock, they knew what he was doing and they designed a uh, plan to take him down and caught him in the very act of praying. But this was a... Uh, by the way, Warren Wiersbe said that Christians forever face temptations to compromise and going with the crowd always seems the easiest route to take. Sinclair Ferguson said, Daniel recognized that any gain made at the price of faithfulness to God's word proves ultimately to be loss. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 3, I count everything as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Is that how we evaluate things? Is that who we are? Act one, pride and jealousy unleash a conspiracy against a faithful old man. The second act is a distressed king must follow through on his decree. Verses 12 and 13 chronicle the fact that this was very disturbing to Darius because he loved Daniel and saw in him a faithful man. And this was disturbing to him, so much so he didn't sleep all night, but he's caught between a rock and a hard place, the rock of his love for Daniel, and the hard place of the irrevocability of a Medo-Persian edict. Now, in, in American jurisprudence, which follows English common law, uh, consistency in law matters, and there's Latin words, stare decisis, stick with the precedent that has been established so we can count on what's there. This is long talked about, especially when there's a Supreme Court nomination. But the idea that it is unalterable, maybe English common law got it from the Medes and Persians who said, once you have an edict, you, you, you can't change the edict. It is, it is there. This is very distressing. Verse 24, we know what kind of shape the lion's den leaves you in. Because after uh, Daniel is delivered, those perpetrators who came up with this scheme, they're thrown with their families in the lion's den. And verse 24 doesn't describe a great outcome. 
And the king commanded that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they and their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in places. Wow. A distressed king must follow through on his decree. Now the third act is, of course, the act of God preserving Daniel's life. God brings peace to a trusting servant in the midst of a grave threat. By the way, in a broken world, there are a lot of disappointments, a lot of sufferings of loss, and a lot of grave threats to our very existence. And we all have to develop a strategy for how to face that. How are you doing? How am I doing? God brings peace to a trusting servant in the midst of a grave threat. Daniel had been at this now for almost 70 years, maybe longer if he's in his mid-80s. And along the way, he developed a default MO, a method of operation to face struggle. And his go-to default mode was, I'm going to trust God. It wasn't complex. It was actually pretty straightforward and simple. What is our natural default mode what is our go-to response to our heart to adversity to setback to loss to threat i love the conversation in verses 20 21 22 and 23 that goes on between the king and daniel the king comes back in the morning daniel's still in the lion's b and b he's still there this is the conversation the king declared to daniel oh daniel Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? That verse, that word deliver, that term, shows up six times in this chapter. It's a big term, along with the term harm. When you read it again this week, as you reflect upon God speaking to your heart on this Sunday, watch for the verb deliver and watch for the verb harm. Then Daniel, who's now speaking from a lion's den, says, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. Now, by the way, there are two people who know exactly what's going on in this chapter. One is Daniel, who knows that he's alive because God acted. The second is Darius, who's going to proclaim as the chapter ends, what is true. We'll look at that in just a moment. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me. Because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad. By the way, watching his emotional tone in this passage is fascinating. He's so disturbed emotionally he can't sleep, and now he's exceedingly glad. The guy's all over the place emotionally. I have a sense that sage Daniel, who's been down the road of threat and loss time and again in his 70 years, he was at peace through this experience because he just laid back in the hammock of the sufficiency of God. So Daniel was taken out of the lion's den and no kind of harm 
was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Are you facing a threat today? Some of us are. I want you to know that God knows all about that threat. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows what tomorrow holds. I don't know who the lyricist is, the old gospel hymn, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." Maybe before they started writing that, they read Daniel 6. And they thought, wow, Daniel could write this song I'm about to write. "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know, thus saith the Lord. Can we say with the chorus, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. That's the story in three acts. Eric, what in the world does that have to do with Christmas? Christmas from Babylon? How can we make any sense out of that? Well, secondly, Christmas is the birth of a prince who came to bring peace. Remember Isaiah 9.6. He's the prince of peace. Christ arrived into our broken world bringing what we so desperately need and don't have. I thought of, again, of Aaron's blessing this week. Number six, the great priest of Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you all you ever needed or wanted. Give you that lottery card that's going to bring down the big prize. Give you great health till you're 194. Then you begin to decline. Just look. No, no, no. At first, when you read this, you think, boy, that's a little disappointing. Give you, what is it? Peace. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you, we're right at the apex. We're right at the top. And what is it? Shalom. It's peace. A comprehensive settledness with God and his rule and me and my life and circumstances and I'm at home in God's world under his rule rightly related to him through Jesus Christ, the greatest commodity I could ever be given is peace. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What did Christmas bring us? It brought us the prince who brings peace. Darius knew, first then, it's God's action in Jesus and not ours which brings us to peace. Daniel's clear on this, verse 22. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. I'm alive because God is good at saving. I have peace because the one true God has revealed himself to me. He clearly understands what's happening. By the way, did you notice verse 17? Did you experience any deja vu in verse 17? And a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den. That lion's den was a bit of a tomb for Daniel, was it not? That's where he was going to die. That's what everybody thought. And a stone was rolled against that tomb. It would be later that a stone would be rolled against another tomb, the tomb of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the genesis and epicenter of our hope is right there. And we can have peace because there was another stone that was rolled against another tomb and God raised him from the dead and brought all of us who would come to the glory of knowing him and being forgiven and notwithstanding our sin, having the cross turned back God's wrath and bring us into relating to God, the tomb thrown open, disabusing death of the threat that it is upon us. And we come to have the hope of eternal life and live with that hope. And what comes with that hope is peace. Peace while we live. Peace while we die. Do you know of that peace? Do you know how interested God is to give you that peace? Therefore, being justified by faith, being declared righteous by believing in Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you experiencing such peace? Christmas is about God's big invitation to peace. Peace! on earth come to Jesus Christ and experience his peace it is God's action that brings us to peace Daniel told him what happened it was God is this about Daniel's courage Daniel's valor Daniel's perseverance Or is it about Daniel's God? By the way, how have we historically celebrated this? Let me go to lyrics from a song that I took a picture of this morning. Here's how we've celebrated Daniel chapter 6 until today. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it known. By the way, who's the hero of our story? Is it us? Eric, I'll tell you what. I recognize my sin enough. I've repented enough. I've believed enough. I've prayed enough. I go to church enough. And that's why I'm enough with God. Well, you're the hero of that story. You don't need Jesus if that's how we get saved. But if none of that would ever bring us into the gift of eternal life, then what we need is for God to act. So this story is not about how we need to be Daniel and be valorous and believing, and I'm for being, believing the Lord with great courage, standing by a purpose true, heeding God's command, honor them, the faithful few, all hail to Daniel's band. Dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known. Many mighty men are lost. That's, a, that's about heroic Daniel. Daniel 6 is about what God did, not about what Daniel did. Daniel stood and watched what God did. And at the end said, hallelujah. The Lord saves. It is God's action in Jesus, not ours, which brings us to peace. That's why Christmas matters. God acted in Jesus. Secondly, this peace must be received and practiced through repetition. Daniel 6, we've already said chronologically, Daniel's in his 80s. He's risen to the top. Remember when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now, we're a couple generations away from the farm. 
Uh, that's an agrarian metaphor. When you used to work the ground, not with international harvester tractors, but with oxen and groups of oxen. And if you ever were breaking in a young plebe oxen and getting him used to the yoke, what you did is you found an old hand who knew how to handle the yoke and you put him in the yoke together. And the old oxen taught the young oxen to quit thrashing, quit jacking around, just mosey on and go and everything will go quite well. Now to a bunch of farmers, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Don't miss the fact that right next to us in the yoke is Jesus Christ our Lord, who has taught us how to live, who has taught us how to entrust ourselves to God. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light and you shall find rest for your soul. I will find myself and I fear too frequently thundered by stress and yearning and anxiousness, wanting it all to go well, pouring my life into it. And I'll think, I don't know whose yoke I have on, but whosoever it is, it's not Jesus' yoke because he said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And then I'll begin to look at my yoke and it's really the yoke of pride it's the yoke of desiring an attaboy. It's, it's, it's the yoke of wanting to please someone other than Jesus Christ. And that stuff gets really heavy. But when you're yoked up with Jesus, it's pretty good. And we learn of him. That's what a disciple is, a learner. One who takes up the life of Jesus. Are you taking up the life of Jesus? It's glorious. It's easy rest for the soul. Does anyone need easy rest? rest for their soul this morning that's what we get in Jesus that's why Christmas really matters now what happens is um, Andre Crouch wrote in a former generation a little song I've tried him and I found his promises true he's everything he said he would be how comes as Jamie read Elisha gets out of that tent looks at the army surrounding him and he says tells the servant hey we're going to be fine I'm going back to bed the Lord will take care of this. Lord, show him who's here. And then his servant's eyes are open to see that God's army has surrounded the army that has surrounded Elisha. But Elisha didn't get there overnight. He got there through a lifetime of a developed reflex and default, a heart gear, a heart mode that defaulted always to trusting in the Lord. In the fall of 1988, my dad and I were very, very close. I sat in a really shrewd pulmonologist's office after my dad had a bronchostomy that took a sample of tissue out of his lung. Weird, went to the cardiac appointment, chest x-ray, something's in your lung, you don't need to see me, go down the hall, see the pulmonary doctor. He gets a test, dad's seated here, mom's in the middle, I'm here, and a shrewd, really great doctor, a lung doctor, a pulmonologist, who was arrogant and blunt, came in, sat down, he looked at dad, and he says, I got the results back. You have small cell, fast-growing, non-smokers, rare cancer. It's not good. I need you to start fighting right now. As soon as he said that, my mother, I, always, I will iconically remember it. My mom, she's, we're all seated there, three chairs across his desk. She takes her right knee, and she slams it against my left leg as if to have just absorbed the weight of the whole world in that conversation, and she felt very much threatened 
and vulnerable and was in a tough position. Bam, she slams against my leg as she heard those words as they slammed against her heart. Well, that fall, I thought I was going to die until I figured out that God was going to allow my father to live. But I learned things about having to trust him in that circumstance that I wouldn't known without that circumstance. 25 years later, my dad died of a neurologic disorder unrelated to small cell, fast-growing, aggressive lung cancer. I learned something there which helped me in 2004 when Andy faced uterine cancer and the doctor grabbed my arm in church and said, Eric, uh, I need to come to your house. And um, it's wonderful to uh, talk to a great doctor. But when they, say, when they pursue you and say, I need to come today and talk to you at your house, that can get a little dicey. And he came and told us that Andy had uterine cancer and that the mitotic rate uh, in a 10 power field in the path of pathology lab, it was growing so fast, it was, uh, had exp- uh, it, it was serious. Oh, what a, literally, breath-taking away experience that was. A real gut punch. Andy and I were looking down the barrel of the potential of, are we gonna have a future together? Where is this going? And I don't know about you, but I have like a PhD in the ability to imagine the worst immediately and then, then, then begin to have darker thoughts after that, if that's even possible. I'm really good at that. But I had, I thought about the experience with dad and it helped me because God taught me things through that experience about what happens when I trust him and it helped me with the next thing. And now here I am not quite to Daniel, but a few more years down the road. And um, as we give ourselves through repetition, we develop a muscle memory that for that next thing, we just trust him and keep going. And that's what's going on here. Does this dear one, Daniel, trusting the Lord through yet another harrowing experience in his life look anything like us? Finally, peace, peace, the Prince of Peace, is the outcome of trusting in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter on faith, celebrates the prophets through faith stop the mouth of lions. Peace is what we receive when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Have you ever received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Peace is available in knowing Jesus Christ. Has God brought you here this morning to open your heart to him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If we're being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our sin brought war of the worst kind. And all of us in thought, word, or deed have violated the law of God. And the war is with God. But he sent Jesus in Christmas to make peace. That's Good Friday and the sacrifice where he took our hell so that our sin could be resolved in repentance and faith. And then there was another seal of a rock over a tomb that was busted out as he proved he could deliver on the promise of eternal life. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? 
as you come to celebrate Christmas, are you really celebrating what God brought when he brought peace on earth in his son through knowing this Jesus Christ who came? The gospel invitation is clear. Do you know firsthand what it is to have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ? You can, and I invite you to Jesus today. Peace is possible in our time now that Jesus has come. How can we ever experience peace in this broken world reeling from the effects of the curse? Well, we can because of Christmas. Peace on earth. The prince of peace. Well, I don't agree with everything that Tim Keller ever wrote or said in his life, nor Francis Collins, the recently retired head of the National Institutes of Health, but I respect both of them, and I read them and have benefited from it. As soon as Tim Keller, pastor of Redeemer, uh, Redeemer Church in um, New York City, planted it in 87, it went to a 5,000, and then they started multiplying congregation in all the cities of the world, literally, in a movement called City Church. God used them. New York Times called Tim Keller the C.S. Lewis of our day. He was diagnosed three years ago with pancreatic cancer, stage four, which is an immediate death sentence. It's tough. Well, his friend was Francis Collins. They were in a reading group together, and as soon as Francis Collins, the head of the National Institute of Health, the exotic organization that does all the clinical research and cl for clinical trials on emerging treatments for various diseases and disorders, and so they got together and started talking about what to do. And Francis Collins whipped up a cocktail that would it was an immunotherapy that would teach his immune system how to recognize those pancreatic cancer cells and go into them and his own immune system fight off the cancer. And so he had to go through this uh, uh, big battery of treatment that included these infusions and he, his immune system's taken clear down and they, 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 they begin to work together with these infusion cocktails. The first time it worked outstandingly. For a moment, the team at the National Institute of Health thought they were on the precipice of the complete resolution of pancreatic cancer, which is a vile killer. One of its problems is you don't find out you have it till it's, it's almost has you. Well, then, after they thought he was cancer-free, and he was for months and all the scans, his immune system began to lose its ability to recognize the cells as they were replicating in his body. So he said, well, come back down here. Let's, let's go through a nut. So he went back down for a month-long treatment at the National Institutes of Health. And at the end of the treatment, they all realized that his cells could not be taught how to turn back the advance of the disease. These are Collins' own words. He's going to begin talking about how it first went down. A sweet period of several months ensued. Tim was in full productivity mode, but the beast reemerged. Of the billions of cancer cells that had been vanquished by the therapy, a few rubes had escaped. The immune system could no longer see them. They grew with wild abandon. 
A second cancer cell target was identified. Another plan was implemented to educate the immune system to go after it. Tim and Kathy returned to NIH for another month-long admission, but this time there was no dramatic response and Tim was growing weaker. It was a Saturday in April near the end of Tim's NIH hospital stay. I knew this might be the last time I would see him. It felt like a time to come together for worship. I suggested an impromptu service in the spacious atrium of the National Institutes of Health Clinical Center on Sunday afternoon and asked Tim if he had any favorite hymns to suggest. I should have known that he would not give an off-the-cuff response. Yes, he said, let's sing six hymns in a particular order because they tell the whole story of Christian faith and God's care for us. I rounded up some others to join us. Despite my occasional wrong notes on the piano, we had one of the most memorable services of my life. Tim explained the, cho the choice of hymns. Immortal, invisible, God only wise. A tremendous depiction of God's attributes. Tim particularly wanted us to take note of the final line. Tis only the splendor of light hideth thee. And can it be that I should gain a reflection on how we connect to God and have a personal relationship with him? Tim sang the bass part. How firm a foundation, God's word in good times and bad. This was Kathy and Tim's wedding recessional. Tim was firm about the right tune to use. Had to use the lion's hymn tune. Jesus lives and so shall I. A quiet but profound hymn about hope for the future. Jesus lives and is now. But my entrance into glory is a line from the hymn. Glorious things of thee are spoken. A proclamation that Zion, the church, was founded on the rock of ages. For all the saints, we will all be gathered at the end. Kathy and Tim said this was the first time they'd been able to worship with others in person for three years. No one who was there will ever forget it. Kathy decided that those hymns would be sung at Tim's memorial service. To conclude the service, we sang one more song. There is a Redeemer. That Kathy had suggested. Only then did Kathy and Tim tell us that this praise song was sung after every service of the first few years Tim pastored Redeemer Church. The last verse is this. When I stand in glory, I will see his face, and there I'll serve my king forever in this holy place. Because Christmas came, humanity can have peace in life and hope through life and hope, and peace, and death. Praise be to God for this unspeakable gift in the Prince of Peace. Father, you know the crowd this morning. You know our hearts and our need. We bring ourselves to you. We love this time of the year. Bring us to love it because of what you brought to broken humanity in the provision of your Son the Lord Jesus Christ, our Prince of Peace. Hail to the Prince who has brought such glory to Adam's miserable, sinful lot and offers us life and hope. We love you, Prince of Peace. Amen.